Hello and welcome to episode 159 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, Rod Murray mustering the troops for team competition as we prepare for the 18th Solheim Cup. The teams have gathered in Spain of one of golf's greatest spectator sports, the weight is in full flight. One of the very best exponents of that particular art form is Scotland's John Huggan, and he'll join us from on the ground at Finca Cortesen, I think is how you pronounce it, in just a few moments. I should have thrown that to you, like, since you butchered it already yesterday. But let's start closer to home, and in studio with me is resident left-field thinker and a big fan of Team Golf, Adrian. Like, like, seriously, this is always one of the best weeks on the calendar every couple of years, and this one feels like it could be quite special. It does. It's gone a little bit under the radar. Very under the radar. Uh, just with scheduling, I think. Yeah. The Ryder Cup later this month, but the Solheim Cup never fails to entertain. The last two have been off the charts. Absolutely. Yeah, phenomenal. So let's hope we get something like that again. Also in studio, Gun for Hire, fellow podcast co-host on the Playing from the Tip show, Jimmy Emmanuel. Jimmy, I'm sure you, like the rest of us, are keen for the action to get underway in Spain. Absolutely, I am. After being decimated by the team of Adrian Logan, you and Porter yesterday in Team Golf. I'm excited to see someone win that's not, you know, the bad guys. Quick quick uh, side side road here. Is Porter a smug winner? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would have thought. <laughs> oh, yeah, he always has been, yeah, too. I would have thought so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I must say, he actually wasn't at his best yesterday, and our man here. Yeah, Logue reckons he admitted that Logue was the- Playing what right. Matt Burns described perfectly as old man golf. Yep. Yeah, nice one. Yep. Was just put the arrow through our heart the entire day. Fantastic. Speaking of Spain, let's go there now for a man who's got more experience at this nothing continues to happen, happen storyline than most. John Huggin. Huggy, I'm going to guess the most exciting to happen so far this week was me getting the time wrong for our chat today and keeping you out of bed for an extra hour. Yes, I'm very happy to be here. Yes. <laughs> I, I was up an hour ago. We could yeah, have done this. That's right. At 11 o'clock at night, I mucked up the time zones. Apologies for that. How is it in Spain? I know you've, you've used that line plenty of times before that nothing continues to happen, but these lead-up weeks to these team events, there's so much interest and there's so little happening. What's been on the ground? What have, been, what have people been talking about? Well, today I wrote um, three stories, uh, one about Danielle Kang losing her clubs, uh, one about how badly Lexi Thompson has been playing. And the most enjoyable one was I had a chat with uh, Mickey Walker, uh, captain of the European team in the first four Solheim Cups. And she shared a few of her reminiscences and stories about uh, days gone by, which was a lot of fun to listen to. It would have been really, because the Solheim Cup early on wouldn't have been a guaranteed to continue event, I imagine. They would have played under a bit of that cloud of, we don't know if this is going to keep going or not. So it would have been very different to what it is now, where it's really well established. Yeah, well, the first one, um, I, as I said to her, I think uh, there was about two women and a dog watching um, at Lake Nona. Um, and she she actually she said that uh, Betsy King, one of the American players actually thought it, it it wasn't a real match. It was just an exhibition. Oh, really? They were playing. She she had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Hope she wasn't a ping player. Carsten wouldn't have liked that. <laughs> no, no. But uh, yeah, I mean Betsy. Well, there was another Betsy King story came up on the the very next match at uh, in Scotland at Dalmahoy, which actually Europe won out of the blue. But uh, Betsy King on the eve of the matches. Um, it was the first time she'd noticed that they'd changed the rules. Everybody had played every session in, at Lake Nona two years before, but they'd changed it to two players from each team sitting out in the foursomes and the four balls. Betsy objected to this. So a meeting was held um, on the eve of the matches to decide what they were going to do, if anything. Um, <laughs> Mickey Walker, she described it as, well, Carsten was there, but he fell asleep and slept through most of the meeting. <laughs> Um, his son John um, then suggested that um, the four players who were not selected for each session should go out before the matches and play their own little game that wouldn't count. Uh, they didn't go for that either, surprisingly, and uh, it was just left the way it was. So there you go. <laughs> it's astoundingly good stuff. The The yeah. foundation stories of these events is often is very interesting, isn't it? I mean, the Ryder Cup was nothing. It was virtually an exhibition until the Europeans joined in the 79, I think, was the first one. And then it be really became an event over the 80s and 90s, and we see what it's grown to now. But we talk about the President's Cup in this same way of, you know, people want to cancel it. It's not that exciting, not interesting. Kind of got to give these things a chance, don't you? Because you never know what might what might eventuate that uh... absolutely it has to it has to have its time to get 
set up and running and everything like that. I think probably the presence cut it's quite hard on because it's had very big players involved from the start. You know, you've got the Tigers and all that sort yeah. of stuff. So, but it's, it's probably a... Ryder Cup light. And it's against... Yeah, and then it's oh, it's not the same as the other thing we play. Yeah, we know you've been to a lot of Ryder Cups. Like, how many Solheim Cups have you been to? And is there a difference between the two? Uh, oh, a huge difference. Um, I mean, certainly today. I mean, if Tuesday at the, at the Ryder Cup, I mean, albeit, as you know, three days before everything significant actually happens, there's huge crowds. The place is moving with people. But today there was a, you know, it was very sparse. But um, to be fair, I can't say I, I blame anybody for not going to to walk around the um, Finca Courtesan. Um, I mean, I've been doing this a long time, probably too long. But it's by a distance the worst golf course I've ever seen for spectators. I mean, it's it's unwalkable. It's it's like a, you have to be a mountain goat to enjoy walking around there, and in the matches themselves. So hilly is it that the players will be buggied three times during the 18 holes. Venue's always an interesting discussion about Solheim, about golf tournaments generally, isn't it, Logue? Mm-hmm. And does that matter, what Huggy's just out there? As a golfer, I'm horrified by the notion that professional golfers will be buggied from buggied. greens to tees, but in the end, will it make any difference? Yeah, I'm interested further on your thoughts on that, actually, because you've been witness to that a few times at a tournament here, that uh, Bonville that uh, involves a lot of buggying of players, so much so, in fact, they have their own buggy. They play in buggies, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think they tried once or twice there to just buggy between the longest Doesn't work. green to tee transitions, didn't they? The players hated it for for the most part. Yeah. Uh, it really, and professional golfers especially, they walk when they play golf and playing in a cart will mess with their tournament and golf the rhythm, rhythm yeah. big yeah. time. And Holly Clyburn was particularly vocal about it. She was leading going into the last round and I asked her about playing in a cart and she was like, it's awful. Yeah. Anyway. It, it, yeah, I imagine rhythm and tempo is everything in those situations, just having the right... Uh, the, just the time to think between shots. Exactly. And you've yeah. got your caddy to talk to. There's a whole thing the major disruption it. Just, yeah, too. Yeah, really changes it that drastically. Yeah. So for Solheim Cup, this is new information that it's a yeah, poor spectator, mm. uh, poor, poor spectator venue. Um, the venue itself, I think, for these things, really doesn't matter that much. Mm. It's great when they're on a fantastic mm. golf course, but we've seen some fantastic Ryder Cups and Solheim Cups on golf courses that aren't so great. It's just the stage on which these things are played out. It, it is in, infinitely better, like Inverness, for example, for the Solheim yeah. Cup. From the first- was, when was the, just amazing. When it popped up on the TV screen the first time, you went, oh, wow. Yeah. This is going to be amazing. Just the golf course made you say, this is going to be amazing. I can't wait. But the nature of match play and the nature of these competitions means that you really just sort of need this stage that can host a venue, like host a big event like this and, uh, and, and sort of pops on TV. But it feels like what's at stake in a- stroke play event where you're trying to understand the shot values being tested and the strategy of the course and all that sort of thing it is still a part of what it takes place in match play for sure but it's it's got this extra factor which actually trumps that in the viewer's mind the which is of. yeah what's where does that shot stand compared to your opponent's shot and, and then the team thing overall and yeah. how the points going. And, and that can be interesting just playing down a freeway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll see. It, it, it's always – this is the, the, the counter-argument, I reckon, Jimmy, is always this. If you had a business and you said, let's put in our not-quite-best product, that's essentially what you're saying with big-time golf when you take it to less-than-good golf courses. It doesn't seem to make sense. But somehow I think Logue's kind of right simultaneously. It kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. It's – it's kind of just the stage for what the 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 play that's going on. If you kind of think of that, that a big stage for a play is just a big bit of wood that you know you're going to stand on and, and deliver the play. I feel like that's the case in these team events. That it's it's a, it's the golf is relative to the person you're playing. It's not necessarily relative to the course, which is so important in stroke play events. But it is a shame. I mean, we don't see the Ryder Cup go to any truly great golf courses. They go to good tournament venues, one specifically built for it, like Marco Simone. And um, then Le Golf National was, you know, it produced a great Ryder Cup because of, you know, it's a tournament venue sort of thing. Um, but this doesn't sound like that's the case. If it's not built for spectators, it's not built that's for not built, golf. Well, it's not built for team golf. That's when you get a lot of yeah. crowds and they bring the atmosphere. Like 20 deep. Crowds following six as much groups. as 
you know, I, let's get Huggy started on the Guardians of the Ryder Cup and we can talk about crowds for a little while. But the um, the the crowd makes so much of it. And Inverness had amazing grandstands built around yeah. those shared holes that build the atmosphere and it builds the event into something more than just, you know, couple of people playing golf because yeah. there's not a lot of golf action. No, that's exactly there's right. There's not got much golf on the golf Five course, so you need something a bit more. So, Huggy, thoughts on that? The quality of the golf course versus the – do you get better golf on better golf courses or does it kind of not matter in these scenarios? Well, I, I kind of agree with the your theme here that uh, it doesn't really matter that much because if you think about it, the, the succession of – we've had some great Ryder Cups in the last 40 years – but to my mind, the, uh, the the last time the the Ryder Cup was played on a really good course in Europe was in 1981 at Walton Heath. Ever since then, it's been a you know procession of rubbish, of mediocrity <laughs> at best. Yeah. So. Yeah. And what about what Jimmy's talking about there? And this would be really noticeable, I think. And you know, this does really become true. This it's rare in golf that you've got this binary proposition of cheering for this or that. It occasionally happens on the back nine of a major match when there's two players who've separated from Mickelson and Stenson at the Open. Some of those kinds of things. But that's rare, isn't it, in golf? And that's kind of what makes these events so special, Huggy. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm going to be treated this week, as we all are, to the the, the sight of um, many hundreds of middle-aged women <laughs> wearing flat flags sticking out of the top of their heads and painted faces and weird and wonderful outfits. It's it's quite a scene at the, at the Solheim Cup, and it's it's unique. I mean, I'm not criticising it. I think it's great that they can get out there and with no inhibitions and have a great time, and that's that's part of the scene. So it's 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 all good. If only you weren't the objective journal, Huggy, you could get a Europe flag painted on your face, but unfortunately we won't get to see that. You can actually get it over the whole top of your head, and so the drone shot would be spectacular, Huggy. Let's not get personal. (laughs) Can can I just quickly suggest that, Huggy, you're talking about people wearing flags. Are you wearing a Hibs football jersey right now? (laughs) He is indeed. It's a shirt that closely resembles a a jersey. Just before we go throwing stones. (laughs) Huggy, what's going to unfold this week? Uh, Of course, at some point we're going to get to actual golf. You've got any thoughts? Danielle Kang, you mentioned, whose clubs didn't turn up. That's kind of a big deal, isn't it? I mean, they can give her a replacement set of golf clubs, but every Every golfer knows that your own golf clubs are different to even exactly the same set of golf clubs with all of the same specs. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly unusual for a set of golf clubs to go missing. But what I found interesting, or a little twist on it this week, was um, that she travels with her putter. She has it in a rifle case (laughs) that she carries with her all the time because she doesn't trust the uh, the airlines with her putter, which is obviously a... Mm. The most important club in the bag, you could argue. Mm. Um, so she does have her putter, and she's um, apparently going to have the worst thing that's going to happen is she'll have a replacement set. Titleist have made a replacement set for her to her own specs um, that she can use tomorrow at, at, at worst. Today she played the. Um, she had a few clubs made up by the, the Ping people are here, obviously because it's the Solheim Cup, and uh, they gave her a few clubs to kind of whack around uh, the golf course, but. Um, yeah, the worst the worst thing that's going to happen is that she'll have that replacement set tomorrow. But uh, the airlines have not distinguished themselves. No. She wasn't happy with uh, have not. It was a combination of Delta and KLM, just for people so people know. But, Who to um, avoid? The clubs are the, the clubs are either KLM in Amsterdam flight. or Las Vegas. Apparently, one of the two. <laughs> that's a good. Well, that's, to, uh, that's one of the, like. Golf clubs go missing for tour players all the time. You know, you see if you're on Twitter, you see it every single week. But uniquely this week, there's not equipment companies, trucks. No, no vans. It's ping because it's ping event, mm. but there's no van. So you're not just walking in there and going, hey, guys, can you just – and Pull up my specs and Danielle, punch the button. Danielle Kang doesn't play in Europe a lot, so she wouldn't have even worked with them that often. And getting a replacement set is more difficult. Mm. Um, I'm not surprised about the putter. I think the putter she's got, she's had since she turned pro. So 2023, travelling globally with a rifle case, Logue. How's that working out for you? Do you reckon when you wander into the airport with a rifle case? And, and I guess she travels commercial most of the time. She'd be well. at the pointy end, you would assume. Yeah. I think it was Peter Senior used to book a seat for his broomstick putter and carry it with him on the plane. He would pay for a seat. Oh, wow. Because he was, well, that putter, how much money did Peter Senior make out of his first broomstick putter, the one that he got off Sam Torrance that went up under the chin? Yeah. He made loads of money, enough to make it worthwhile to book a seat on any flight there and take it with him yeah. uh, on the plane. I've just got one word for Daniel Kang's air tags. They all have them. This they is do. the thing. And then they know but where it's sitting and then they try and get the... Well, you know, I, I don't think she knows where they're it. sitting, though. 
She was quoting some number, but I, I don't think she was no, able to tell them that. where they were. Scott Hendo, I'm sure, it might have been in Ireland or Scotland, was standing at the counter with the phone saying to the girl, yeah. they're literally 20 feet that way. Yeah. Here's the tag. That's it. Can you go and get them? She said, oh, no, we have to follow the process. You'll yeah. have to fight. you have to lodge something. Another, Can you a, imagine? Another player in the UK, I think, before the Open, it had happened. and was, was going, from Scottish to the, the Open. Yeah, it was and a huge it's here. Problem. It's here. And no, no, no. And some other person who followed them on Twitter went to where they were and picked them up the and one. drove them to the golf yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My club's got stuck in Warsaw once for a week. Sounds painful. Oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's, <laughs> Is that a happened to me once? Is that what you've done there for Danielle King? Happened to me once? Don't uh, swear it. Will it have any impact, you reckon, Huggy? Can't be a great, comfortable start to the week, but it could go the other way, couldn't it? Kang is a fiery character. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that could really fire her up. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's early days. I mean, it, as I say, the worst thing that's going to happen is she, she's going to have a set that are pretty much the same as the, the one she's been using for the two days of practice. And I have to think that the, the real ones will, will show up yeah. before Friday. So it's not a disaster. No, no, it's, no, no. It's not, you know, it's not ideal, but it's not a disaster. There's also nothing else happening, Huggy, so we're going to have to flog this dead horse until it's completely well, dead. Well, there, there is that. I mean, we lost clubs. And, um, you know, I have to write about that stuff today. And, and, and Lexi Thompson, how badly she's playing. Danielle Kang stuck up for her, by the way, at the, the press conference. She wasn't... She was offended by a very polite question that, you know, dodged around the, you know, the, the real issue, which is why are you playing so badly yeah. and why are you here? Mm-hmm. You know, which is basically what was being asked. But uh, she, I mean, Lexi Thompson is off the charts bad. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, she's played, I think, 11 tournaments and missed eight cuts. That's right. Something. She's made $55,000 for the year, mm-hmm. which is just staggering for a player of her level. But she qualified on points. Though, on right? points, yeah, because of the two-year rolling. The two-year rolling thing. sort of period we, thing. How did she cope with that herself, Huggy? Because she really is in the dodge. That could be disastrous. And she is, of course, the oldest player on the team. Not yet 30. Really? She's the oldest player on the team. No, Down, no, no, no. Isn't she? Daniel Kang is 30, yeah. Oh, is she? I thought they were all under 30. Lexi, no, Lexi Thompson's 28, I think. Okay. Kang is certainly 30. Okay, there you go. Uh, but Thompson herself, any thoughts on that? It doesn't sound like it's going to be a great week for her, you wouldn't think. No, I mean, I actually spoke to her at the Women's Open at Walton Heath about three, four weeks ago and with the, on the same subject. She's probably tired of talking about it. Um, and I got the feeling that she she's kind of lost enthusiasm for the game a bit. I think it's, it's a, mentally it's a bit of a struggle for her yeah. at the moment, um, quite apart from the any physical stuff. But, yeah, I mean, if she's as bad as she's been playing, you know, they were sort of saying, well, will it make a difference because it's match play instead of stroke play? And she kind of knocked that back with a straight back. But um, if she plays like she's been playing, she's basically a passenger. Yeah. So you won't see much of her before Sunday, I don't think. She's one of the more interesting studies in world golf, isn't she, Jimmy? She's been a superstar virtually since she was 12 years old. So she's 28 now, but we have been following her career for the best part of 15 years. (laughs) And and not only that, she has been well in the spotlight. The American golf has been carried by Lexi Thompson till the last couple of years, almost individually. Absolutely. I mean, we see it with the LPGA players more than men that tend to finish up a bit earlier mm-hmm. in terms of that competitive drive and, and there's probably there's less money so maybe that's hard to drive yourself when you've been so successful if that's, that's what drives you but um, yeah, I mean she's had an intense focus on her since she was not even a teenager yeah, um, and played at the highest level for that period and been very good. Maybe hasn't succeeded quite as much which brings pressure on. Um, you know, It's a unique environment that I think 10 years' time, if she sat down and reflected on it and was open and honest about it, it'd be very fascinating to listen to. But um, it's very hard to maintain that level. Uh, She played a game as well, I think, when she first came out and started playing full-time, not when she qualified for the US Open at 12, that was quite different to the rest of the tour and advantageous, and it's no longer that different to everyone else. Nellie Corder is Lexi Thompson 10 years on. Yeah, that's right. So that that advantage or that difference of game isn't quite there, so she can't bully a golf course probably like she could. I mean, the short game is where there's been the major issues. It's kind of it's tough to watch at times when she's got a a wedge in her hand. Um, But on the ages, Ali Ewing is also 30 years old. Okay, there you go. But... She's certainly older than Jennifer Cupcho and Megan Kang, who, according to the website, are two years old. Oh, nice. 
So, you know, <laughs> they're just getting younger and younger, aren't they? Logan Lexi, tough way to grow up in the public spotlight, I would have thought. Yeah, and I don't think we will ever, or we, we've yet to understand truly all of the pressures that she's faced throughout her career. Um, you always get a sense of it that, and then occasionally sort of the mask slips. She you. looks unhappy often, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, she regularly posts to a social media account saying, I'm getting, I'm not going to be on here. Uh, you know, I'm taking some time off and then it's not long and she's back again. Mm. Um, it's it's obviously a difficult kind of existence. Mm. There's two players on the US side, Huggy, who might uh, have difficulties this week. When you look at the team, who are maybe the key players in your mind that we might be looking to this week on the US side? Uh, on the US side? Yeah. Um, we'll come to Europe shortly, but on the US side. Well, I think um, the girl who won the, the two majors uh, this year. Lilia Vu. Uh, Vu. Yeah. Lilia Vu. I, I was really impressed with her at Walt Heath. And uh, I think she's got the potential to be the star of the week. Um, it's it's obviously, I mean, we've talked about this before, but the, the formula for winning these things is, is not that difficult to figure out. I mean, if your best three players all play well and win most of their games, you're, you're going to win. It's as simple as that. So the responsibility on the on the better players in the team is huge. Um, we saw the you know reaction of Rory at the last Ryder Cup. We got very emotional um, on the Sunday after he'd won his single because he'd played so poorly the previous two days. But that's because I think he knows that he's one of the, the best, certainly one of the best three Europeans along with Ram and Hovland. And that responsibility is going to be repeated next week in the Ryder Cup for him. But alongside the, the kind of stars, you do need um, the kind of steady eddies, or in this case, steady Edwinas, probably, to um, get you over the line. Um, and the one I like um, on the American side for the, in that kind of category is Ali Ewing, you mentioned. I, I really like her game. I think she, she does make many mistakes. She, she played well for a couple of rounds at Walton Heath and led, but kind of faded away a little bit. But she's still in the top 10 at the end. And I think if you need every team that plays in these things, you need a couple of Ali Ewings, yeah. ideally. And she's I, I really like her game. She's just she's just there the whole time. You've really got to beat her. It's one of these people that you've got to beat. She won't, you know, give it to you, no, that's for she, sure. She she looks she sets her jaw beautifully, doesn't she? She's competitive, you feel like. She <laughs> she gets on the first tee, she sets her jaw and is like, Yeah, if you're gonna win today, you're gonna have to beat me. You're absolutely right. That was Leona Maguire for the Europeans last time around, I felt huggy that player that you've talked about, yeah. and you're right, if you look at any of these teams, there's always somebody who's not particularly high profile at the time who stands up and does a job that uh, that gets it done in the end. Have you got any feeling, Huggy, about who might be the favourites here? It kind of feels like it's leaning towards Europe. They're going for a hat-trick, but they're so hard to predict these things, aren't they? Yeah, very slightly Europe, I would say. Um, I'd be happier if um, if I liked Peterson's picks, uh, or one in particular, more than I do. I mean, the Caroline Headwall pick is was to me extraordinary. I mean, she's, she hasn't played very well at all this year. I mean, not not as badly as Lexi Thompson. Actually, the the program is the kind of giveaway. Um, they kind of have the player profiles in the mm-hmm. official program, and at the bottom they have their best results of twenty twenty three. And some of them have got you know six or seven lines of yeah you know what they've done well this year. But Lexi Thompson, there was a blank space. Oh wow, wow. there was nothing <laughs> waiting for a highlight. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> waiting yeah, for yeah. a highlight. Made cut. And I think, I think Headwalls was a sixth place in some tournament or something. That was the best she's done. So, you know, I've got worries about her. I don't think, again, I don't think we'll see much of her before Sunday, maybe one game. She she's, was the first player to go five points in a Solheim Cup, if I'm not mistaken, a few years ago. And she's she is a yeah, really erratic yeah. player. Her good is off the charts. It's amazing. But her poor, as you say, and she's had some really poor in the last few years, is just... Yeah, awful. You, so. you were giving her big raps in our other podcast. About the big other raps, day. I was just saying. Oh, what I, have we got to say about that? Huggy's right, but here's the thing: she's one of those players, a little bit polter-like. In some ways, it doesn't matter. I think she likes this particular event, this style of event, and she could well lift and produce her best golf out of nowhere, unexpectedly, because of the event and the, the nature of it. Yeah. Possible. There's a bit of hustle about her game, like even about her golf swing. Like yeah. she sort of hustles the ball out there and then yeah. chases after it. There's a bit of character, which is uh, yeah. which is nice. Um, what about the other side, Huggy? The European team. There's some really interesting players on the European side. Maya Stark is one who stands out to me. An extraordinary talent. 
almost mm. to the point of reckless sometimes, it feels like. There's not a flag she's ever looked at that she didn't want to go at, I don't think. Yeah, well, she's she's going to be part of, there's a pretty obvious partnership with her compatriot, um, the Scotland's Ling Grant, <laughs> yeah, playing with her in the, in the foursomes and four balls, I would imagine. Um, and then, of course, there's uh, Carlotta Seganda, who... Rumor has it that she's they're going to let her tee off on Wednesday so that she can get finished in time for Sunday. So. <laughs> you've had your uh, you've had your you've had your share of differences of opinion with some of the members of the European team, haven't you? Maya Stark, I think, wasn't particularly uh, kind to you at the Open a few well, a few weeks ago. It, it wasn't. Uh, we we didn't even get close to having a difference of opinion. She was just rude. I asked her a question, a perfectly civil question, and she went. Wah! And just walked off. There you go. That was the end of it. <laughs> She'll be keen to see you on the first tee then yeah. in that case. Jimmy, some thoughts from you about uh, what we might see unfold well, I on think, course. I think Europe is maybe not a favourite, but Pose is really exciting to watch. Is the more exciting to watch. There's some storylines within the US team that'll be interesting, but that European team with the youth sort of movement, but there's a lot more experience dotted in there as well. Mm. It's going to be interesting to see who they pair and send out. I think Huggies right, Stark and Grant, mm. we're going to play together. I think so. Um, but there's probably a few matchups that are harder. Um, you know, that if you're sending out Headwall in any of the matches, in any of the foursomes and four balls, who do you send her with? Because there's not a lot of form to go off. So it's. Saganda, she might drag her along at a decent pace. That's right. Headwall <laughs> gets on with it. That's one thing she does do. She gets on with it. The, the picks, a lot of them are. Not necessarily players in the best of form, but with experience in this this sort of event. So that'll be interesting to see. I mean, Leona Maguire is going to be great to watch again. She was so good. You know, the 2021 event was kind of where she really marked herself to a broader audience as this is something special. She feels um, Ewing like that role that Huggy was so much should be an anchor. Expectation on her though for to back that up. Mm. That's true. Yeah, she's, um, she's not going to go five and zero again. No, of course not. But then, I, like I said on the other podcast, I'm playing from the tips. I think Charlie Hull is so important yeah. to Europe this this week, and it feels like in form. It could be a a time where I mean we've all known how good Charlie Hull is for a long time. She looks to this year have finally worked it out a bit more as to how to do it consistently, and I think it's always been a case of Charlie plays well when she wants to play well kind of thing. She's a bit but ADD, isn't she? She's admitted she herself. Yeah, she gets yeah, bored yeah, on yeah. the golf course. She That's gets all. bored in the middle of a tournament. Oh, I can't be bothered with this. Yeah, whereas this event, I, I don't see that happening. No, There's sure. a lot more to stimulate and keep you focused. So I think that's a, a lot huge. less golf to play too. Yeah. Not four drudgy days of eight yeah. holes a day and four and a half hour rounds. Huggy. And, and quickly, the other thing I'm looking forward to is given Huggy's just slighted the only Spaniard in the field and is currently <laughs> in Spain, whether he gets out alive. <laughs> well, uh, well done to that. You've been doing a series of interviews with Ryder Cup players and former captains over the last couple of weeks for the thing about golf, the Golf Australia podcast that we sort of share between us. And one of the topics that always comes up is this notion of um, the pairings. Who do you pair with who? It's a dark art, isn't it? Are you any wiser now than you were at the start of this process as to what the key is to getting that right? Well, uh, from what I hear, uh, Suzanne Pedersen is not one for uh, the statistics um, side of things, and it's pretty much going to be her gut instinct mm -hmm. um, that she's going to go with. There are a couple of obvious ones. Um, we mentioned... Um, Grant and Stark will play together, um, as will, I think, Hall and Boutier. They've got a history, mm -hmm. a very positive history in, in the Solheim Cup. So I, I'd imagine they'll certainly play together. And then you've got Charlie Hall will play with whoever Charlie wants to play with. And uh, Sagan, as, as will Saganda. Saganda's a, you know, she's difficult to she, apart. Yeah. She's a very important part of that team and she's got a great record in, the, in these things. I think that the slow play thing doesn't hurt her in match play because it irritates the other players, mm. um, which is a big part of match play is just getting inside the, the head of the, the opponent and annoying them, irritating them, making them feel doubt. You know, that's that's a huge part of match play and she's certainly good at that. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the more I think about it, I mean, I, I give an edge to Europe, but um, not, much, <laughs> not any more than that. No, you, you know? wouldn't put your house on it, would you? <laughs> Probably not no, even one of I the wouldn't. rooms. <laughs> no. You'd be I'd, wary. I'd suggest that Laura Davies as a vice captain probably isn't big into the analytics either. <laughs> no, it would, it would be an interesting team. Rimway and Patterson, oh. th that fits her personality, doesn't it? McGinley was very much a statistics-driven captain. You could see why. You could understand yeah. that would make sense to him. Yeah. 
Whereas you can't imagine that that would work for Pedersen. If they tried to do that, you would just confuse her and she wouldn't know what she was doing and then, you know, she wouldn't be a great leader. So. Well, I think so much of these team events where there's been success with a model by one captain, mm. the next captain tries to use that model even though it doesn't suit their personality. It, the best captains have been the ones who've embraced something that fits their personality. This is a- my team and you're playing for it. Yeah, Azinger in 2008, was he found something that was him with the um, system. pod system and all that sort of stuff in the American. Americans have tried to sort of keep it going and it hasn't quite worked and that sort of thing. You know, Jose Maria was a completely different captain than Faldo and found his you know, thing that worked for him and that's well, passion and energy and all that sort of stuff. And a whole lot of luck. <laughs> and Ian Potter yeah, on Saturday afternoon yeah, was what course. worked for Olafarbel. That was gone and yeah, dust as that tournament. That but uh, I think for Pedersen, she's a very different person to... Uh, Katrina Matthew, who's been the previous captain, so she's got to put her own stamp on it. Can't just follow what Katrina did. No. Yeah. Indeed. Like by by the way, you know, can I just say that I won't hear a word against Laura Davis in this no. because uh, I, I arrived at the airport yesterday at the same time as her, and she let me. Uh, she gave me a ride in her car to to the hotel, so I won't hear a word against. Was Laura. she driving? Laura's Laura's the greatest. No, she no, is. we were being driven. Was I was wonderful. about to say, yeah. my understanding is that it's not a great idea to get in a car with Laura because she likes to drive very fast, whether you like yes. that or not. she got a collection but of Ferraris. He just said, don't say a word yeah. against yeah. her. <laughs> That's I, not against her. No, I'm just saying. I don't want to hear a bad word against her either. <laughs> How could you? She's a legend. I've written, yeah. I've written about it several times before. What a gift she is to the game in every way. Will we see yeah. her in commentary at all this week, Huggy, even though she's part of the administrative team? Because she's always a high no. commentary. No, she's uh, she's just part of the team this week. Oh, uh, the, the, we, she's not working for Sky. Although Katrina Matthew is, I think she's here. She's part of the Sky team this week. So. Uh, Laura will be important for Charlie Hull, I would think. I, I imagine she's been an important part of her career as is, but I would imagine this week in particular, she'll play a particularly mentoring role with Charlie Hull, who is really huggy. She's a very big personality. She's got a huge golf game. As Jimmy said, we started yeah, to see it recently. She is very charismatic. Not everyone's yeah. taste sometimes, a bit like Ian Poulter, but in an event like this, she could be really crucial, Charlie. Yeah, you're right. I mean, she's the if she's very close to being the best player on the team anyway, but she's certainly the one who's playing the best at the moment. But she, and she's also she's as daft as a brush. I mean, she really is. She's a she's a unique interview. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> talked to her, but uh, I sat around a table with a with a bunch of journalists a few years ago somewhere, and um, I don't know to this day I've no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> Nobody else did either because when she got up and walked away, one of the journalists said was a, there was a few sort of seconds of stunned silence, and one of them said. Um, that was just a random series of words. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> it didn't actually mean anything. It's have just been so talking it's, it's, millennial. Yeah, uh, possibly, yeah. possibly. Uh, that's pretty – Huggy, there's two ways to be really good at golf, I think. You've got to be really, really smart or really, really dumb, don't you? That's kind well, of a it, – it, it helps. I mean, I'm not yeah. sure um, – I wouldn't describe Charlie as dumb no. because uh, – Just daft as a brush. Cool, but uh, – <laughs> She's as daft as a brush. That's a, that's a good description, but she's a wonderful golfer. Yeah, you? she's extraordinary. One of my favourite lines ever was Ricky Barnes's brother after he won the US Amateur and got into the Masters. And at the Masters, his brother was catting for him and someone said, you know, what do you think will happen this week? And he said, well, Ricky's just about dumb enough to think that he could win this. <laughs> that's just a magnificent line, uh, I thought. Like, I, I want to just dwell on Charlie Hull for a little bit because – I. I do think she's very key, and but not in the polter way. Like she's charismatic, but she lifts players with her play. Mm-hmm. I think, and you never see her sort of looking up and getting in people's faces, and like sticking her jaw out and like. No, no, no. She's not a Danielle like, Kang. No, she like when she fist pumps and things. She's like always looking down, and she's very internal mm-hmm. when she's playing. But Good somehow up. it projects mm-hmm. extremely well externally. Like something that's developed through her career, I think, where she's become. Charismatic, like she's, you see this sort of energy radiating from her, which is what we actually had from Leona Maguire last mm. year or last time around. It was it's true too. There was this sort of energy radiating from her, but it wasn't, it wasn't that aggressive energy where she's looking out at people and like it was just for her pointing when she's holding putts, it's celebratory rather than confrontational. Is, this is coming from a man who holed a putt yesterday <laughs> while not looking at the hole and pointing in my face. <laughs> Did you make a note of the time and date? When was the last time you hold a pump? Just the most aggressive way to celebrate. <laughs> Nobody cares. And just- therefore, I respect the players like Charlie Hull and Leona Maguire who can do that stuff <laughs> in, in a way, in a much more low-key way, but with far more impact. 
<laughs> so celebratory rather than confrontational. Yeah. Uh, Huggy, we talked on the p- plane from the tip podcast yesterday very briefly. This his- this event, probably more than the Ryder Cup, has a history of incidents. It seems mm. that we don't go a Solheim Cup without a very sort of – there'll be a personal incident at some point. Whether we see one or not this week, I've got to say there's a bit of me hopes for it. I think it's what makes these events is the genuine niggle. When the players really don't like each other or really get upset, that's when you see the proper stuff. What's your take on that? Is it important for these events to have a bit of that? And do you think we might uh, – there's some characters lined up on either side here that feels like it's not necessarily going to be far away that we might see some of that. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because the, the chat I had with Mickey Walker, who's this mild-mannered uh, lady, you know, perfectly polite, it seems, but she actually endorses what you've just said. She she likes the fact that there's been incidents like Suzanne Peterson not conceding the putt and Annika Sorenstam being asked to play the shot, the chip shot again after he hold it, that kind of thing, simply for the reason that um, it, it's – People are still talking about them. Yeah. You know, the fact that we're talking about them now means that they've had an impact. And the Solheim Cup needs that kind of publicity, if you like, um, just to set it apart and, and make people get interested in it. And uh, you're right, there, there's a, there's some potential um, this week. Uh, who knows? And match play is a, a weird game. I mean, it's the the potential for people getting pissed off at match play is much greater than in stroke play. And uh, uh, that could happen this week because uh, Danielle Kang is, uh, as you say, is a pretty spicy character. She's um, she's not above getting getting involved in a bit of give and take, and a good match player too, of course. And you talk about that, and it's always yeah. a bizarre ruling of some sort. Remember the last one where the ball hung over the edge of the cup. Oh, no. We had yeah. days and days of discussion about that. But the thing that makes it work is nobody gets hurt. There's nothing. You know, there's no downside to any of this. It just makes it more entertaining and interesting when the feeling is real. Part of the problem with the President's Cup has been right from the start. I think it was the second President's Cup where Mark Kalkovecchia said, why do I want to fly halfway around the world to play against a bloke who lives next door to me? Yeah. yeah. Which is also true yeah. of the Ryder Cup, of course, these days. <laughs> but it has a, a different history, so it's a little bit different. But, you know, it's, uh, it, it relies on that. Otherwise, it's yeah. it's a some sort of, you know, contrived show. And you can't contrive this stuff. I mean, it's not contrived. That's when it's good. I think there's also probably amongst the players, Daniel Kang, we've mentioned multiple times, but amongst the LPGA players, there's been probably a few more relentless competitors who we maybe don't see as much out of during the year that maybe just peak for these events. There's Mm. been, Pedersen is one of them, Mm. you know, gets into this and just, sees a red mist kind of thing. Um, and I think that the LPGA players at the Solheim Cup are more willing to show their emotion after the incident happens. So discuss things uh, like... Crying and... Yeah, and I'm it, not necessarily crying. Not just crying, but, but yeah. But, talking but, about what just happened in those incidents and then, you know, how it affected them for the rest of the match. The Ryder Cup, President's Cup, it's shut down, move on. Yeah. Which is which is probably true of men's golf generally in terms of there's less willingness when except in Maya Stark's case when Huggy asked her a question <laughs> to discuss things with a journalist afterwards and be more honest about yeah. it. Are you saying men and women are different, Jimmy? Well, the team competitions certainly are, but it's true, I, I think that's that's part of it. And so there's been more willingness to discuss it, and then so then it gets investigated more, and and how that chip incident at Inverness affected Nelly Corder, who clearly, yeah, who clearly was affected was, by was it during the match, and probably for the rest of the event. Yeah, Patterson uh, similarly with the not conceded part. I mean, she was she had to apologise. I think Jim you know, Golf Channel did she not? If I remember, Huggy to sort of to give it a public mea culpa a couple of yeah, days later. That, I, I, I thought that was outrageous so that I. she was forced into that because so she did absolutely nothing wrong in my mind. I mean, that, that the girl, Alison Alison Lee, Alison Lee was, yeah. was the, the one. Yeah, she. I know because I've heard from the two, at least two sources that would know about these things that she'd already been warned about oh, that. Oh, okay. She'd been warned. She'd done, she'd done it before and she'd gotten away with it and she'd been warned, don't do that again. And she did. So Peterson, I, I was I amazed she, no. when she was I don't think forced she to apologise. It was the it looked it like it was punching down. Gone mad, I, think, that, I thought. Yeah, it, it looked like it was punching down. I think that was the problem. Yeah. Not uncommon. You little side road, Huggy. Not uncommon though um, for players not to necessarily be familiar with the rules of match players. It was a boo weekly had to have it explained to him the week of the Ryder Cup what a gimme was. 
Well, that and uh, Tom Lehman, at, uh, the famous match he played against Seve Ballesteros in 1995 at Oak Hill, um, he putted up to like six inches and Seve wanted him to mark the ball because the, the marker was going to be the target for the line for Seve's putt. But Tom Lehman objected to this and tapped in, Played you know, it. because he didn't understand that Seve was in charge of his ball. It wasn't his decision to make and it was Seve's decision. It t- Tom Lehman was oblivious until, and the, the referee, the crowd got involved, of course, and Seve was to their, in their minds, the, the bad guy until the referee had to actually make a speech on the green <laughs> and explain to the crowd and Tom Lehman that he was wrong and Seve was right in that case. Just wets the appetite, doesn't it, Logue? The potential for these things to to blow up this week. And it really does make these weeks, I think. And the, the chance for a rule snafu. I think it's been nearly two years since I used the word snafu and you'd hope for a snafu this week, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the emotions run high and uh, there's uh, the, these golfers' true character comes out a yeah. little bit in these matches, which is interesting. But just on that, I, I actually really like the character of both teams yeah, in, in this competition. Sometimes the American teams, I, I find them a little bit unlikable. <laughs> but this, this American team, I find very likable right across the board. Yeah. I, I, Don't you think? It I think puts a different this. spin on the whole thing. I'm often not a great Ian Poulter fan. But never during Ryder Cup week am I anything but his greatest fan. There are some players who you can be, you can find a bit distasteful sometimes, but under the right circumstances, they become your hero for the week. I reckon Poulter's one of those for, for a Ryder Cup, and I think there's some of those in this team. But there's a lot of... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There's a lot of players in the US team this year who you're just genuinely rooting for them. Like mm-hmm. You just want to you want to see Lilia Vu do well in Alison Corpus, and Megan Kang, I think her career's been fascinating, and she, you know she's finally starting to... Uh, perform to the way that we, we all know she can. Andrea Lee's not a bad sort of comeback yeah. story as well. Shane Knight is sort of interesting. But the one though, I suppose we haven't mentioned, Huggy, which is... Roseanne. Yeah, if you'd said this six weeks ago, that we'd have gone 45 minutes into a podcast about the Solheim Cup and not mentioned Rose Zhang, that would have been unthinkable. What's your take on that? And is there any chatter on the ground about Rose? Well, I think Ludwig Eberg is the Rose Zhang of men's golf. Ober. Ober, Huggy. Ober, yeah. Well, there's varying, you know, it's, it, I think it should go down to what the, the man himself wants, and I think you might be right, Ober. Ober, that's what, right. You're going with penalty area. We're saying hazard. Uh, <laughs> oh, how the hell is he never go with penalty area? <laughs> if he's going with Aberg, he's going with penalty area. Uh, have you anyway? Yeah. Have you had a chance to scout the hole location this week? <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! We want to get the the yeah. rest of this out of him. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. The, the the penalty area is when the, it doesn't necessarily include a penalty. Is the one that intrigues me the most. But there you go. Anyway, so back to Rose. Yes, um, obviously, you know, incredibly impressive. Um, I'm not so sure, you know, she's she's played in Curtis Cups, but um, this is going to be something different for her, It's as it will be for Ludwig, Ludwig, Ludwig in the Ryder Cup. So it's a bit of the unknown for her. Um, I'll be interested to see how she goes. Um, if she gets off to a good start, she could be the, the start of the week. But equally, you know, if you lose at least once on the first day, a wee bit of doubt will creep in. I think uh, it's a strange environment for young players sometimes. Yeah, and outwardly, Jimmy, she does. She's certainly no Danielle Kang. She hasn't got that outward confront, you know, up for the up for the fight sort of thing. It'll be really interesting to see how she does go in this environment. She could just be that calming anchor influence too. You never know with until a player like that plays these yeah. events. You know, you, you would have, uh, it's before my time doing this sort of stuff, but Tiger coming up as a, playing college golf, winning amateurs, US amateurs and all that sort of stuff, being a match play you know, phenom. She, she's, yeah, she's been playing a lot of match play. You would go, oh, well, when, once we get Tiger into the Ryder Cup, imagine how amazing he's going to be. He's going to have the best record of all time. No. You know, Jack, you know, he's the best player by far of his era. Oh, no, didn't really get it in the Ryder Cup in terms of a record. You just don't know and you don't know the personality that they're going to display because every single person is different. Ian Poulter is a we talk about him a lot in this situation but obviously at the Ryder Cup he's extremely expressive and dominant look he's he's quite like that when he plays stroke but not Nothing nearly like to that, the yeah. same and you had no idea that that's what he was going to become when he put on European colors and and started to do that so it is a real unknown about what Rose is going to be she may show up and be an absolute competitive beast and be the new Danielle Kang we don't know because until you actually see it happen what can I just say that what is not unknown oh here we go 
is the quality of the clothing at show sponsor Angus and Grace Go Golfing. They do anything we haven't, You know what? We haven't talked about the scripting of the teams this week at all, which yeah. is always a highlight of these team events to see what they're going to be dressed in. And imagine how much better it would be if they were dressed in Angus and Grace Go Golfing gear. A nice eyelet polo like Logan and I had on <laughs> yesterday. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, and their golf daddy hats that are exceptionally popular. And I saw two be bought yesterday afternoon at the shop in William Street, Paddington, Sydney. And where else can you find them, Luke? Uh, you can find this them on. This podcast has taken a very funny turn. <laughs> you can find them. Uh, Huggy, is it very cold over there? Because Angus and Grace have some great merino wool mock necks that, uh, you know, could could do if yeah. the cold mornings when they're early starts for these Huggle team will be, Huggy will be interested in when they start making Hibs merchandise. It's all yeah. about layering, yes. actually. <laughs> yes. Now, yeah. now, now to, have, I, have I mentioned the Scottish Cup victory of 2006? <laughs> <laughs> Once or twice, but not on this podcast. Huggy, yeah. Jimmy raises something interesting there. Oh, sorry, you finished? Well, I just wanted to say Angus and Grace Go Golfing can be found online at uh, Angus and Grace Go Golfing on Instagram. And, <laughs> and I'll put that in the show notes. And Angus and Grace go golfing.com. Yeah, I'll put that uh, in the show that, notes. That groan during the ad read was brought to you by Huggy. By Huggy. I might even edit that out. Uh, Jimmy raises an interesting point, doesn't he, just to finish up. Not all good players necessarily uh, cut out for team play. Tigers foursomes and four ball record is not fantastic his singles record stands up very nicely thank you very much and that is Jimmy Wright you don't know that till you get these people in this environment and you find out where the players are wired that way it was always very hard to find someone to pair Tiger with in the Ryder Cup yeah and, and foursomes and four ball partnerships they evolve over time mm-hmm. to, to the both positive and negative ways I mean Paul, I remember speaking to Paul McGinley about his uh, early, early partnership with uh, Podrick Harrington obviously both from Dublin, um, and they won the World Cup together uh, for Ireland, and they played together in the Walker Cup and in the Ryder Cup, and did well um, for a while, until it became apparent that Podrick had overtaken Paul. Podrick became the the, the far better player. He was sl- he's younger than Paul, so Paul had played the kind of senior role originally, but that changed when the the Podrick raced past him as a player. And the whole dynamic changed wow. to the point where it didn't work anymore. So the, every, these things tend to have a shelf life. Um, Woosnam and Faldo is another classic example. They did really well for a while um, and then had to be split up. Um, the, the, the notable exception to all of that, of course, is Ballesteros and Alapabal. Mm-hmm. But uh, generally speaking, you, you you can go too far. You can, And they tend to go one step too far because that's when you find out that it's not working anymore. Um, so you have to be careful with partnerships in that respect. Yeah, they're really, it's a dark art, isn't it? I, I think partnerships are just like the captaincy, where it's like when when you're winning, it's like oh, it's genius. Yep. When you're losing, oh, the captain is to blame or whatever. It these partnerships, I think, are exactly the same thing. It's just you know, whatever strategy you're using to choose them, whether it's data or countrymen or whatever. It's I think it comes down to success breeds success. If they if they get off to a good start and start winning, who it, it creates the formula that keeps them winning for a little bit, and then that goes away like everything goes away. Yeah, you, you need to be lucky as well because the Leona Maguire, who we've talked a little bit about, who played with Mel Reed with great success the last time. They were thrown together at the end because they were the the two kind of leftovers. Left that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that it was complete luck that they did well. You just shows you what can happen. And, and you really need those people who are, I, I don't care who I play with, I'll play with anyone. You need those as you, you know, the people, and I think Mel Reid has been that for Europe in the Solheim Cup for so long. Of She probably has a preference of who she'd like to play with, but you, I don't care. Just send me out. And it, it, you hear it a lot more during Ryder Cup week, but there's the discussions about golf ball and playing the same model and all that sort of stuff that comes into it as well. But like Logue says, it's all of this stuff goes into it. And then you might just get two people who just play bad one day and just get beat. Uh, well, you, you could cars. relate to that, uh, oh, I guess, stupid. Jimmy, with uh, your, your Matt. What but, are you wearing uh, when you got flogged yesterday? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about players? Yeah, as, as a member of a winning partnership myself, you know, I, can, I, I, I can't explain the magic that occurs when you're in a night. serious question for Huggy, who's a proper guest. <laughs> okay, what about players ahead. picking their own partners, Huggy? What's been the record of that, where two players say, we um, want to play together because we well, like each other? Again, it, it's it's mixed. I mean, I, I did a, I interviewed with um, Katrina Marty a couple of weeks ago, that, and it ran as a Q&A on the Golf Digest website this week. And uh, she said, she didn't name, well, she told me who they were, but I didn't, we didn't use it in the story for obvious reasons. But she said that there was two players 
came to her um, separately, saying that they, they basically they couldn't stand each other, and but they would actually you know they would step up for the sake of the team and play together um, for if, if Beanie wanted them to do that. But uh, she didn't. Obviously, she kept them apart. But it's interesting that there's all the personalities come into it as well, and on both sides of the coin. I mean, the the people you know desperate to play with each other, but there's. On the quiet, there's uh, there's a few that say I'm not playing with her or him. You know, I'm not. That's the last thing I want to do. Spieth and Reid famously just tried to beat each other. Was that mm-hmm. the, yeah. the key to their partnership? And they were almost unbeatable because they were just yeah. trying to beat each other. And in the process, they would flog whoever yeah. they were up against. That's the, that's the thing. I mean, we all people take a simplistic view of it and go, oh, all the Europeans are trying to beat. Them. They love each other. It's going yeah, no. when you. you you no. hear about it with football teams and cricket teams that you assume, oh, there's this common goal. Within the Australian cricket team for years, there was quite division amongst some of the key players who were relied on to combine. And it's the same in this. There's people who just don't get along for whatever reason. Um, and that's an interesting thing for a captain to try and balance, like what Katrina Matthews talking about, whether or not you actually put that to one side. But you know, the Spieth and Reed thing is a, probably a microcosm oh. of something that is not going to happen very No, that's right. You yeah. can't see that working. Didn't work for Reed and Woods, did it? Woods let Reed down, as he told us after <laughs> the match. That, you know, chucked him under the bus. There you go. Huggy, I think what we've established is that there's really actually no rhyme or reason to any of this stuff, the winning, losing, or drawing, but that ultimately it's by far the best entertainment in golf every couple of years, isn't it? It's this team stuff. And so for that alone, we just say let's get on with it. Yeah, let's hope it's close. That, that's the best entertainment because yeah. the the Solheim Cups recently have been way better than the Ryder Cups. There's nothing. I mean, Team Golf is great. I'm a huge fan, but it, it's not that interesting if it's not close. No, that's exactly right. Which, of course, we've touched on a couple times. It's been the problem with the Presidents Cup, hasn't it? Is that it hasn't been close often enough for it to to look forward to it coming around every time. Been great of you to take some time with us, Huggy. Enjoy walking the course this week. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, be, I think nine holes might be my limit. It was so. Safe to assume we won't be seeing a lot of coverage of what goes on between the sixth green and the seventh tee. <laughs> <laughs> By the same no, <laughs> unless they provide a buggy, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But in it, regardless, I am envious because I think this would be a fabulous event to be at, and I think it's going to be a fabulous event this week. Yeah. So enjoy it, and uh, we might try and catch up with you next week and see both what you're looking forward to at the Ryder Cup and what unfolded this week. That'll be great, but thanks for taking some time today. Yeah, it sounds good. Jimmy, good to have you along. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, mate. And always a pleasure to talk to Huggy. It is always a pleasure to talk to Huggy. You're absolutely right. And Logue, good to have you here as well. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Roddy. And thanks, Huggy. That's got, a little, that's got a shelf life of about another week before it really becomes a problem. That's it. What are you giggling about, Huggy? Because it's funny. I, <laughs> he, makes me, he makes me laugh. I edit, your, I edit your podcast. Remember that. I can make you sound bad at the drop of a hat and the click of a button. That's it for episode 159 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. We'll be back again next week for the Ryder Cup and a Solheim Cup review here on Good Good Golf.